How about that Jordan Peterson, huh? <laughs> Lobster daddy. <laughs> yeah. That uh what, what, contra points is her name? Yeah. She 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 she's got some good points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. Today we're talking about Jordan Peterson. The man, the enigma, <laughs> the raging dumpster fire of different ideas. <laughs> Who is he? What does he think? We're going to jump in and we're going to actually explore some of his ideas and also some of the perhaps political ramifications of some of the more inflammatory things he said. Just kind of explore him as an individual without judgment and without uh taking any sides but j- just just an exploration i don't know we, we might be taking we some might sides. be taking some sides <laughs> <laughs> we'll see i don't know before we get into the episode just a fair warning that we're two musicians who like to talk about topics that are sometimes slightly beyond us if we say anything that's inaccurate or just flat out wrong please send us a nice email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com and let us know what it was. Thanks for listening. There's definitely things I disagree with about what Jordan Peterson stands for, and some of his points are, I think, a little off, but he has a lot of really interesting ideas also on certain subjects, and I think they're worth exploring as well. Yeah, no, I don't don't think you you can throw everything out about... Yeah, I don't think you can throw everything he said or written out as being complete, completely <laughs> untrue. Because there is some, there's some, there's some good stuff mixed in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as much as much as people, you know, will will try to discredit his him as like a pseudo intellectual, whatever. I mean, he he like he taught at Harvard for a while and like is a a professor at like a fairly big university and students give really, I think positive reviews of his classes and and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. like you can't you can't totally just like discredit him (laughs) Mm -hmm. so where should we start what what do you want to talk about about him first uh i think we have to get all the controversial (laughs) stuff out of the way first (laughs) oh boy that'll take a while (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) so what do you think is the biggest controversial element about jordan peterson well, so so the the main thing that made him famous in the beginning was his opposition to this Canadian human rights law that added uh, gender and sexuality to the list of things that it was legal to to discriminate people based on. I- illegal too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his main his main issue was on on the the use of of pronouns other than he he his 
he, him, his, or why can't I do the he or she? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pronouns other other than the use of uh, <laughs> use of pronouns other than he, she, um, he, she. That's <laughs> I, I still don't know if that's a politically correct term, Trevor. <laughs> it's it's not actually. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> derailing pretty fast maybe maybe it's it's the, the, the edible use over the past few days but mm. i can't think of he him his and she <laughs> her she her hers uh-huh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> somehow that wasn't <laughs> um anyway <laughs> so, wanna, like, so that say was... that whole thing again now <laughs> yeah maybe so <laughs> so I, I think that the main thing that he became known for and, and the thing that was like the first controversy that really made him famous was his opposition to this Canadian human rights law that added uh, sexuality and gender identity to the list of uh, things that uh, it was illegal f- for people to discriminate based on. And uh, and in particular, he took issue with the use of any pronouns other than uh, he, him, his, or she, her, hers. And of, of course this, you know, uh, is something that that concerns the the transgender community pretty directly. Mm. Yeah. So what's his what's his argument here? Why is it a fair thing to discriminate to discriminate against people on those grounds? Well, his 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 main issue is is I think wasn't with uh, discrimination in its own right. It was it was. Uh, I think specifically about the gender pronouns thing and he felt like it was the government forcing him to use certain language that implied things he didn't believe in if that makes sense hmm yeah yeah and then that you know he could be prosecuted over that or, or whatever All right so so he feels like this legislation is saying that he has to use certain words it's like enforced speech right right yeah yeah something like that hmm. um and you know it, it it also went along with the, oh like there are you know 400 different pronouns now and i have to memorize all of these and yada 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 which just like isn't isn't you know hmm. kind of beside the point but yeah it, it, it's, it was weird though because in, in interviews he'll he'll like people will ask him you know if if there if it, if it wasn't for this law would you you know would you call people by the the pronouns they prefer and uh he'll be like no (laughs) um and but then you know when they ask him about the law itself they you know (laughs) well actually i'm not so sure about that because uh one of the videos that i think we both watched was a clip from joe rogan interviewing jordan peterson on his podcast and in that interview jordan peterson did say emphatically that he would use people's preferred gender pronouns specifically he mentioned in cases of male to female or female to male um and he said he would take it on an individual by individual basis as it is an individual decision and but that 
uh, as a whole, he would respect that. Um, then he took issue with uh, what he calls made-up words like Z and uh, all, all other like 70 different <laughs> gender pronouns. Uh, and I don't know. To that extent, I actually think he has a point there that like to enforce that kind of language in legislature is maybe problematic um yeah well yeah you're right he he did you know he said he would uh yeah he he would only stick to the, to the binary though right he wasn't willing to use like they them theirs yeah so that was the biggest is, question for me because it seemed to me obvious like oh obviously he'd be okay with they them theirs as a singular and it, mm -hmm. it just like totally makes sense with the argument that he's just made and mm -hmm. why wouldn't he i mean it's uh, an accepted part like you it's an accepted usage in normal language even separate from like gender identity yeah no, Shakespeare used it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. for example, someone I don't know commented on our YouTube video. They said this, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Is it a man? Is it a woman? I don't know. Is it neither? I don't know. So I'm just going to say they. Yeah. Yeah. You, you never say like he, he or, or she, she. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's that's not common usage at all yeah yeah but yeah what you just said that he he actually is in opposition to using they as a singular right <laughs> which is just <laughs> I, I don't understand it <laughs> Com completely undercuts the the actual sense he was making up until that point mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah i mean i mean I've, I've never met anyone who wants to be called anything other than uh he she or they like i've never met someone who who like wants to use any of the other mm -hmm. like pronouns that are out there yeah and while i i don't necessarily take issue with anyone choosing to use that language to describe themselves or others i think it might be missing the point of language to try to install that dramatic sh intentional shift in grammar and and words because the way that language evolves it's not a it's it's not an intentional conscious decision that we make it's a natural response it's uh the way that we use the language it evolves itself you know mm -hmm. and it's inevitably like the younger generations that are gonna mm -hmm. like produce the innovations and the, the new the new features of, of language yeah and so to try to enforce any particular language through legislature is not uh taking into account that that natural evolutionary process within the language right well and i think uh you know the people who were behind the legislation pushed back and and said that he was completely misunderstanding 
what what the law actually said mm. and that it, you know it, he, it i think he was kind of blowing it out of proportion mm-hmm. um yeah i mean yeah obviously like the state policing language is a is a bad idea to a certain degree but i think uh the law wasn't that extreme mm-hmm. so i understand that a lot of people who are in trans right activism feel it's necessary to lean in hard to this disruptive language right it's just disrupting our naturally learned processes of of language and trying to instill this artifice that has been created this intentional structure that has been designed to be ideally inclusive and beneficial for everyone and that that disruptive nature could be argued to be an essential facet of the 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 change in in order to in order to disrupt the the previous pattern to create space for the new pattern Mm -hmm. but you're saying you're saying the the new pattern might not necessarily be what what the new the new system that's there now well what i'm saying is um i understand that a lot of people may take that that stance and to me it still doesn't quite it doesn't quite get all the way i i think it's more relevant that language just simply does not evolve in that way it 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 is a natural process and to try to influence its flow intentionally across a whole culture is not a practical approach Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's definitely not yeah you're right it's definitely not practical Mm. um And, and and that maybe it's not even necessary in order to embrace everyone and make a loving nurturing an environment that everyone can feel safe in you don't need all of those different deviations from our language as it is we i uh, please please tell me if i'm wrong if i'm missing anyone out here but it seems to me that using he she and singular they pronouns can cover all of the spectrum in a meaningful way yeah i mean i yeah i don't know if that's really for us to say yeah and 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 that's why i i stress please tell me if i'm missing something huge here because that that is what i can see and i i acknowledge that i may not have the whole picture and would love to learn more about any any individual who doesn't fit in into that because that would be fascinating but i, I don't yeah see i mean i mean moment. yeah i i think it's safe to say that that human gender doesn't even you know i think those three categories probably don't really even do it justice um sure but it's yeah but it's it's a question of of uh yeah kind of like you said how how practical it is mm-hmm. um until you know until people become comfortable enough 
with with the idea that it, that there's more flexibility there. Yeah, certainly. And that like like even Jordan Peterson was saying the each individual is so unique that it deviates on an individual to individual basis. And so maybe rather than trying to f- formulate a language that encompasses each individual maybe it makes more sense to treat each individual separately and uh not and and yeah not to make assumptions about them just based on uh whatever pronouns are being used yeah yeah of course you have to you have to treat everyone as a as an individual no matter what mm-hmm for example, I I feel sometimes, and, and this a lot of this language is coming from having spent five years in Boulder, I feel sometimes like I have some elements of myself that are decidedly feminine and also some elements that are male, and yet the composition that makes that up and makes sense to me is that I'm still male, you know? Yeah, no, and, and same here. Like I, yeah, I'm aware that I I have like certain aspects that are definitely more feminine than people would expect mm-hmm. for just like a dude, uh, as a, like an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like yeah, um, yeah, there lots of lots of different things can can exist under under just the umbrella of like maleness. Yeah, maleness or femaleness or theyness i think they is a really powerful term that can encompass a lot because it could refer to someone who has both male and female elements in substantial quantities or it could refer to someone who feels they have neither it's it's a very versatile term right right yeah i really wish we could get past the whole (laughs) debate on yeah Okay, so back yeah. to Jordan Peterson. Why the <laughs> fuck doesn't he want to use singular they? <laughs> doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah, and I think for anyone who's listened to our our past episode or uh, episodes on on the intellectual dark web, that the the whole uh, transgender rights issue seems to be something that all of these guys just have an incredible amount of of like vitriol for. <laughs> Mm. and just like or or not vitriol but like they think like the whole thing is overblown i guess so it's interesting that you use the word vitriol because i actually have an idea on where where this reaction is coming from within jordan peterson now it seems to me like he's a very intelligent person he recognizes facts and he is fully capable and willing to embrace logic wouldn't you agree yeah no he's he's obviously a very very smart dude mm-hmm. and if you were to see a, a fact that is in contradiction or revealed some hole in his reasoning don't you think you would probably accept that yeah i th- I, th- I think so i mean he you know he's uh he he's one of those people who you know who 
doesn't shy away from you know debating people who has different views from him Mm -hmm. and and tries to you know as long as he thinks that you're debating in good faith to try to you know take take your points into consideration and and consider that he might be wrong and all all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff yeah totally and he also seems to have uh i'd almost say a devotion to the truth It, it seemed to me in some of his motivational speaking it was all about looking into yourself seeing what's really there really wanting to know the truth facing what it is no matter what it is and accepting that i think there's something really powerful in that yeah 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 i found that powerful too yeah i think i think uh i think he does have some kind of roots to his thinking that keep coming up over and over again though which are which are like the uh the primacy of of childbearing as being basically the the primary reason for our existence hmm which i mean especially you know when he talks about like men and women he says like oh well, women already have everything already figured out for them because their their primary purpose is obvious is to have kids <laughs> and men have to Whoa. figure it out cause... <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> hang on a second <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. so he's uh rooted in some very traditional gender roles yeah yeah and i think i think religion also or at least uh quote-unquote judeo-christian values you know comes into play Hmm. um and like you know uh the idea of of maintaining the the traditions of of the west that kind of thing can you talk a little bit more about that last point maintaining the traditions of the west how do you mean well it's 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 an interesting question so i think what what he means is is uh well he one of the things he constantly rails against is this idea of uh postmodern neo-marxism <laughs> which <laughs> so, okay so so postmodernism right that this kind of within at least philosophy it's kind of the idea that that uh we can't really know anything right that mm. that uh you know modernism was kind of the enlightenment where everyone was thinking that you know through through science and reason and logic we can figure out how the world works and and come to conclusions and improve the world and and postmodernism is is the idea that uh, who knows what we really know? Do we really know anything? Uh, maybe it's all like this huge facade, mm. and uh, and I think he sees that as as dangerous and and a threat to the more you know the kind of enlightenment thinking ideas that he considers the, to be emblematic of of the West. Yeah, he does seem to have a, a sort of a vitriolic reaction against what he calls the postmodern neo-marxism doesn't he yeah yeah um and, and of course the 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 neo-marxist side is is the the skepticism about, about capitalism and all all that kind of stuff the skepticism of about capitalism like like so so you're saying that neo-marxism is the skepticism about capitalism like seeing the holes in it th- thinking that no it, it won't hold water over time yeah and and how it just kind of perpetuates patriarchy and and uh and like big differentials in power and and oppression and all that stuff well jordan peterson would say there is no patriarchy (laughs) who a patriarchy (laughs) 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 so i guess that's why he hates him so much yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, um, in one in one interview that we'll link to, he seems to be really harping on these postmodern neo Marxists, and it, to him, it seems to mean, as far as I can tell, he has this image of these people who are resentful for existing. They feel that they have been a, done a great dis, a great injustice by being brought into the world and uh, want to punish the people who did that to them. How do you feel about that idea? I mean, that definitely strikes a chord with me, given the, the anti-natalist stuff we've talked about, because uh -huh. that's kind of <laughs> right up right up that alley. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, it, it pushes me to be like aware of those tendencies in myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't think that can totally discredit everything that he's criticizing. Yeah, so, like so the, certainly you know, there are people who do believe that, and that may, may even be why... I know for for a fact I personally have in the past felt that same resentment. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I don't in that statement is he talking about like uh kind of the the stereotypical like uh, and we'll get into incels later probably, but like, you know, the the white kind of disillusioned guy who, you know, can't get a girlfriend and and can't hold down a job and is just kind of disillusioned with the society. Or are we talking about like social justice warrior like uh you know trying to tear down the all the structures of society that that kind of thing that's the question because it seems to me and other people who uh we have done some research on for example contrapoints on youtube uh natalie win i think it's natalie win yeah for example natalie win on youtube makes the point that perhaps Peterson doesn't make any sort of clear distinction between those that maybe this category he's created the postmodern neo-marxism encompasses a whole lot of different categories and he sort of sees them all as one particular unified enemy front mhm mm yeah and and I think she she goes on to say he also lumps them in with identity politics mm. which is uh which is you know very much a, a western philosophical idea mm. that he wants no part of and doesn't consider to be the west yeah yeah so i, th I think what she what she said specifically is that uh identity politics is like the opposite of postmodernism because identity politics is all about uh like defining these different categories Right. And postmodernism is about breaking down all the categories and breaking down all the all the boundaries and the structures and all that kind of stuff. So they're like postmodernism and identity politics are actually uh, kind of fundamentally opposed. Hmm. Interesting. So so they, perhaps even postmodern neo-Marxism is a contradictory term in itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> So, so this is what's what's so interesting to me about Jordan Peterson because he's so he, he's a man of logic. He respects facts and and logical thinking, and and yet he also seems to have this broiling resentment 
towards this hypothetical group of people, which he perceives to be a very real force in the world. And somehow the two, because he's so smart and and, and lucid, he, he he's not going to allow any direct contradictions within himself for the most part. He's always going to root out those contradictions in the pursuit of logic. And yet he somehow is managing to dance around this impulse that is driving a lot of his rhetoric. And that impulse is just, the way I see it, a visceral gut reaction, a feeling of resentment, that almost maybe even a physical thing more than an intellectual one. Hmm. You, you mean he's he's feeling that resentment? I do get that sense. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he... he... Yeah, and I can't tell quite where it's coming from, but it mm. it seems like the the issues he's talking about really really strike a nerve with him. And I I don't know if it's it's like that he he thinks it's so obvious mm. what what the uh, what the defects are in the things he's pointing out, um, or whether they they like touch some uh, kind of like deeper emotional point with him. Yeah. I think only one man in the world can tell us the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> one th one thing that I'd like to to mention though is that it seems that he in in grouping all these different categories of people together into this one umbrella category that he has disdain for he is in effect he does make some some good points like these things that he sees as problematic there are really people who hold these contradictory pro problematic views that he puts forward and yet they're not representative of the entire group that he is pushing back against they are merely the minority the extremist minority with the loudest voice and he rather than listening to the more subtle intentional nuanced points by the more level-headed members of the group he reacts only to the loudest most inflammatory members and groups the rest of them in with them yeah i mean i think part of that is that the, the most inflammatory ends of those groups was starting to make its way in, into actual laws like with the with the the bill in Canada. Mm. So I, I think that might be the reason he was reacting so harshly there is that it, the 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 more extreme ends were starting to make their way into into actual law. Although I mean you, you could argue whether that was actually true in that in that specific case. Um mm. that specific law. But I think uh yeah I think the reason he's He's reacting against those those more extreme views that they 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 started to become main, mainstream. If you're enjoying the episode so far, we'd really appreciate if you consider supporting us somehow. You can go follow us on social media on Facebook or Instagram, or visit our website at postwave.com to see all of our past episodes as well as some episodes we have coming up in the future. 
you can also go subscribe to us in your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a nice review if it's a platform that supports reviews like that. Thanks for listening. gender issue pretty pretty well covered um i think we could move on to the the differences between men and women and how how men have to to choose their own way through life while women kind of have it provided for them gosh you know (laughs) i just wish i had a daddy to take care of me i'd get to look after the kids and um give birth and you know, stay in the kitchen, make sandwiches. That would be that would be the life. Yeah, I mean, he has this whole this whole idea about how like the men all compete against each other in this hierarchy, and then all the women come along and just choose like the people highest in the hierarchy to to mate with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, while I can see how that is true, like it it completely disregards the idea that there are also women competing in that hierarchy <laughs> like mm. uh now, now when you say that do you mean a parallel hierarchy and uh and and generalizing first for heterosexual relationships just because that happens to be the major the majority in our society um and we can expand out from there but uh, do you mean a parallel hierarchy of women competing for the top males? Well, I, I guess that's an open question because you could imagine that, you know, women are also competing in some kind of hierarchy that, that like intersects with men's hierarchies, but they don't. Uh, and, you know, sometimes women and, men, women and men are in competition. But in the end, you know, when heterosexual people are, are considering a mate, they only look at the the other genders hierarchy hmm. and so even though there's like men and women that are in competition sometimes they're not like they're not in competition uh to find a mate if that makes sense they're in competition yeah. for like status within mm-hmm. a certain company or whatever yeah and so that that is in terms of of competition for a mate it is two parallel hi- hierarchies um which the individuals can display their prowess by competing not only against the other men but against women as well to to show their valuableness as a mate yeah so so this kind of, this kind of brings us to the whole the whole incel thing yeah what's an incel yeah. for those who don't know yeah <laughs> So it stands for uh, involuntary celibate, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it basically just means someone who uh, who feels like it's unjust that they can't get laid. Okay. 
and and what's what's the thinking there? How how do people come to this conclusion? Yeah. So I mean, so this whole this whole thing kind of grew up on the internet, right? Um I think a lot of it has to do with this kind of uh image of the ideal man as being like, you know, this like super buff uh intelligent guy and the fact that a lot of people don't feel like they're living up to that um and that the only reason they can't uh find someone who wants to date them is that they don't live up to this super idealized uh image you know Mm. like they're they're not you know like they're they're good they're just not you know up to this standard that society holds them to and but you know of course the reality is that it's it's almost always them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's not that there's some like conspiracy against men within the society yeah and so what would jordan peterson say here to the well he actually yeah so he actually uh he he said something kind of along the lines of what i just said which is that uh you know if you find that no one wants to date you the problem is is you know it's probably you (laughs) it's probably not society yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay um so so why do people equate Peterson with being an incel? Well, I think I think it's that he talks about uh well, I think I think one of one of the one of the reasons people associate him with with uh incels is is he's he's referenced this idea of enforced monogamy a lot. Hmm. Which has uh yeah, if if you weren't familiar with the term, you'd probably assume it means something means something it it doesn't. Enforced monogamy doesn't mean that you know there's some high authority, uh, like mandating that everyone has to have have a single mate. It's it's kind of the society, the societal norm that that polygamy is is unusual and that monogamy is kind of what's expected. And he his argument is that that's the only thing that's uh keeping us from he would say degenerating into into a society where where polyamory is is more common gosh heavens forbid <laughs> we can't have multiple people fucking each other yeah because that leads to because that leads to violence yeah how does that how he, he he says he says that that he seems to have evidence for that in 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 do you do you have any idea what that is? I mean, the first example that comes to mind is is uh, Muslim societies where there's there's polyamory. I'm I'm almost positive that's what he was. He he said he he referenced some some anthropologist he had done the the research with. I think mm-hmm. it, it could be looked up. Yeah, but I don't think that that's. I suspect there's not really a strong argument there. It's interesting because he 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 seems to th- speak authoritatively on this point referencing that there is extensive evidence to back this up i don't know if that's really true but it seems like plausible given peterson's devotion a lot of the time to upholding logic and and reason so i'd be interesting to see what sort of sources he he gets those ideas from yeah yeah it could definitely be be delved deeper into 
So I think this kind of brings us to one of the things you wanted to talk about, which was uh, this idea about sexual selection, mm. that it, it gives this kind of intentionality to life. Um, and yeah. that, that intentionality implies agency. Yeah. This was a really actually fascinating idea that he shared on the interview with none other than our good friend, old Betty old pal, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> okay, hang on a sec. <laughs> so he puts forward this idea that we have a societal structure wherein women choose the course of evolution and they do this by selecting mates with intentionality whereas compared to for example baboons the women will mate with anyone when they are in heat and that that is not the case with humans because human women are selective and choose the most competent men the most effective in the society and say that is who i want to reproduce with and and in doing so they uh shape shape the future of our evolution with intentionality with purpose right didn't you go on to say though that that because <laughs> he was like yeah it, it appears that the women are, are making the intentional choices here but actually the men over here <laughs> who are creating the hierarchy <laughs> are the ones who are actually you know deciding who is best yeah i noticed that too it, yeah so he said okay actually but what really happens is the men get together and vote he says vote on who of them gets to reproduce and then the women choose the person that the, the people that the men voted on and oh and then he, he tags on like oh but like with more more selectively but they pretty much choose like who the men chose mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a hole here i think do you see the hole uh <laughs> <laughs> i see i see at least a few holes <laughs> oh dear a positive orgy of holes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> it's almost poly polygamous can't have that <laughs> um but what what's the hole that you see <laughs> <laughs> the hole i see is that men don't vote on which of us gets to fuck the women <laughs> you know you, you must have missed the you must have missed the, the, the meetings that have been happening <laughs> i signed up for the the early ballot and i, I forgot to give them the my updated address <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so, so 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 what's he saying like through competition that is us voting well i, th I think it's it's you know uh if you look at it from from a corporate standpoint you know people who who rise up the ranks are 
are kind of chosen by people they work with and the people who supervise them Hmm. to to succeed and to get ahead and and rise up in terms of uh prestige Hmm. i think that's kind of what he means okay and he says something about you know people people want a competent leader people want the person to lead them who's going to get them the farthest I think there may be some truth to that. The other thing I see, though, is when it comes down to direct competition between males for a mate, you don't see that. You see the opposite. You see every male, I mean, we kind of know this instinctively, you know, every male says, well, I'm voting for yours truly, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you mean by that? They will not cede to the individual male that they think would be a better mate and therefore be better for society. They're going to want to try to get their dick wet and they don't care about the other guy's dick. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's obviously true if we're just talking about sex, but I think... I think that's where the the idea of of just wider prestige within society comes in because then then people do care about picking the best leader because uh you know a rising tide will lift all boats and if they're part of the organization that is headed by a really competent leader they'll rise up the ranks more than they would have otherwise if they had a less competent leader. Interesting. And and no one's no one's directly concerned with who else is getting their dick wet? <laughs> huh. I hadn't thought about that. So, how else does this argument fall short then? I mean, I, I think it's. Honestly, I think it might be basically true. It's just kind of uncomfortable to think about and hmm. and something that that right now it, it kind of goes against all of our all of our idealistic thoughts about love and finding a mate and all that stuff because we want to believe that you know any anyone has a chance uh potentially with anyone else and that that, that you know status and power have have nothing to do with it anyhow some, sometimes they don't but but like on a on a grand average scale i think it 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 does kind of tend to be true. Hmm. And so this is where P- Peterson's idea of enforced monogamy comes in, where in a polyamorous society where you have the women dating only the, or meeting with only the very topmost selection of men, that uh, only those people get to reproduce. And with an, a monogamous society, then the other people everyone has a chance basically right 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 because the the top you know three or four four guys aren't aren't you know dating everyone mm-hmm. yeah so he, he he puts forward so 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 moving past that point he puts forward a pretty interesting implication i think which is that by selecting mates and hey let's just generalize it whatever the structure is which 
whatever it may be right now and whatever it could hypothetically be within our species we can just generalize this to say by intentionally selecting mates that humans are intentionally shaping the course of their own their own species evolution yeah i mean I, that's a, that's a pretty i mean that's just sexual selection that's a pretty like uh widely accepted biological fact isn't it mhm mm and what was so interesting to me though is that he 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 takes this in again against the term free will you know people like yourself who do not like to use the term free will will put forward things like our genetics are predetermined and therefore we're not in control of those and so we don't have free will and i know that's a huge simplification of, of, of your stance but um, it is a point that is often brought up and the fact that through conscious decision through conscious decision that is through through ideological through through thoughts we are shaping our genes as a species right yeah I'm, I'm totally on board with that i mean our yeah our genes are influencing our thoughts and our thoughts are it's like a feedback cycle because our thoughts are influencing our our mm. genes totally inevitably and so i don't know that just to me that speaks to a profound intentionality that goes beyond just the surface level yeah i mean i i think the thing i take take issue with there is the idea that intentionality implies free will because I, I we've, we've talked about this <laughs> already but i and he seems to think that that consciousness somehow implies free will um yeah along with intentionality which i you know, you know of course i don't i don't agree with that oh of course naturally yeah, of course <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a very interesting idea um, and maybe maybe it's worth going into in our future a, a, a follow-up free will episode <laughs> yeah because I, th I think there's a kernel of truth here. And again, it's something that seems evident to me and I can't quite put it into words right now. <laughs> but there's something there, I swear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is really a, a beautiful idea that something as abstract as thoughts can influence like the very base base level code of what makes us human. Definitely. I mean, I think that's maybe the core of what people mean when they say that they they have free will is that ability to influence the material with thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course they're kind of identifying with their thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Because it's uh, separating your definition of yourself from the physical structure, the biological structure that represents what you are. But what you are is more than that. It's the 
ideological concepts that that body represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something more abstract than just like your your actual genetic code. Yeah, it's something conceptual. It's it exists as an idea. And I think that's a, a core element of of Peter's argument here or, or his idea here is that at the core of of everything, you can say it's predetermined. You can say that the physical structure of the universe of one second ago determines the physical structure of it now, and so therefore we can't influence our future. It's all just a, a clockwork winding down. But that doesn't apply for living structures. So, 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 so this, 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 this is, he goes on and he talks about how living structures are dissipative structures. He uses this term. Have you heard this term before? I hadn't heard it before, but I think he, he said he, he gets it from uh, Schrodinger's book, What is Life? Mm, totally. I don't, think, I don't know if Schrodinger coined it, but, but mm. he talks about it. Yeah, so a dissipative structure. So it, it's, it's something that's going against that, that flow of, of chaos, the, the clock winding down. We, the living, are the parts that don't do that. We go against that. And that's what gives. That's what is life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I looked a little bit into that, and I guess I didn't get far enough to understand exactly what this significance is. Because because it is true that we're, of course, when we're living, we're our our entropy isn't isn't increasing, like we're we're kind of maintaining a, an island of, of stability, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's also true that that life is one of the most efficient ways to to turn uh, energy into waste heat. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the <laughs> and cost, so of course, right? Of, of, yeah, well, and of course, we're in- increasing the entropy of our environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so we, ha- we have to. That's the only way we can, we can you know, maintain the, the stability that we have. Yeah, and, and that's the cost. That That is what we pay in order to get the the livelihood the the agency the ability to choose to do more of that mm-hmm. so is this idea of dissipative structures tied to the idea of free will or is it is it a separate kind of thing i i definitely think there's a connection although i don't know that i'll be able to draw a direct a, a direct link between the two because mm-hmm. again i think the point is that by by living we are going in contravention to the flow of that mechanical structure that's winding down the clock and in doing so we perhaps liberate ourselves from its confines at least temporarily. Yeah, and I just don't see how that's true because I mean obviously there there are places in the universe where where entropy isn't increasing uh you know, apart apart from from life. Well well what it comes down to is the difference as I've spoken before between free will on an individual level 
and omnipotence. I'm not claiming omnipotence. Omnipotence would mean that over the course of the whole universe, you would have the power to go against that forever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying within finite constraints, you can go against that. You as an individual, the part of you that's not the entire universe, can go against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you are going to go against that. Uh... <laughs> Until you die, and then you're not, right? <laughs> right. But well, the thing, though, is you don't have any choice to not go against it. <laughs> I don't know that that's true, necessarily. You could you could choose to die at any point. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I should say you can't choose to go against that and still live. I agree completely, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I, I just don't see how it's it's more free to to be tied to this contravention of increasing entropy rather than going along with the flow of it because either way you're you're committed to the direction that you're going if that makes sense mm. I don't know that it I, I don't know that I follow it <laughs> <laughs> the only way that life can exist is in opposition to the to the overall flow of entropy in the universe and if that's the only way it can exist then how does that make it free again it, it's free in cer- within certain constraints it's going back to the idea that in order to have any sort of existence at all you have to have both a slice of the infinite and a slice of the finite there's always going to be some constraint there, but that doesn't mean that you're unable to make decisions and influence your existence. It doesn't mean that you're unable to choose to exist or not. Right. Of course, of course, you can still make make decisions and and choices and all that stuff. I I just think that yeah, just just because we're we're going against the the entropic flow of the universe, it doesn't doesn't clear the bar of of implying that there's free will Um, well you can make that assertion um (laughs) can i present to you a model that i think explains how it could actually go above that bar no (laughs) okay thanks this has been post wave (laughs) Uh, go ahead (laughs) so you would agree though that at any given point you could have the freedom to either live or die you can make that choice right sure now now let's just uh, remind ourselves that one's self, one's identity is a variable concept and could be represented rather than saying I am this human structure you could say instead you are a composite of countless smaller structures each of which is their own identity, is their own sort of consciousness even and Mm -hmm. And that perhaps that can even go down to the very smallest scale of physical existence at at all, where 
everything is constructed of points of perception. That is, a, whatever structure is capable of recognizing anything, right? Mm -hmm. of, of perceiving. Right. Now, on that structure, it still makes sense to to speak of these individual perspectives, individual points, as individuals, as entities even. And you can say that each of these points has the freedom to choose either to exist or not to exist. Now, if you have that freedom and enough random chance happens, enough points just completely randomly choosing to either be or not to be, it will eventually culminate into a form of binary code of a combination of ons and offs which come together to represent ideas, uh, concepts, and that that is what everything is made out of. So on that fundamental smallest scale, everything is constructed of the freedom to either to choose to either exist or to not exist. And that any idea you can have can be represented by that binary code. Huh. So so I guess uh okay, if, if every you know, if <laughs> If awareness goes down to the subatomic level, um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to free, rephrase that? <laughs> I think there's no. another there's another like uh, slogan or something that, that fits there. <laughs> okay, but but if it does, kind of like you were saying, <laughs> uh, how like, like how, how was I have... saying? Wait, what, what's the term for that? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, just say it. <laughs> I, I'm going to exercise my free will and not say it. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> okay, but but yeah, if there's if awareness on that microscopic scale, isn't that, isn't that kind of saying that, that it can't choose not to exist because it's always there intrinsically? Like how would, how would some... Uh, like particle of awareness choose not to exist if that is if that is the fundamental nature of of reality then there's like no no choice whether to exist or not no cuz the fundamental nature of reality is that choice it it it's not the the on part it's the the ability to be either on or off like that's that's part of it you can't cut it out of the picture uh, but I don't know what it means for like a single atom to be either on or off. Like, what is that? I would mean? equate that in terms of physics of either existing or not existing. And we see that in subatomic particles popping into and out of existence. Like in, in what circumstances? They just do. We don't know <laughs> why or how. <laughs> Are you talking about like virtual particles, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are, 
I don't think that's, that's exactly what you're thinking of. Okay, wait, wait, hang on. What is a virtual particle then? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, from what I understand, I'm not going to be able to, to define it super technically, but from what I understand, it's not that there's actually particles popping in and out of existence. It's more of a, like a mathematical construct. Um, that's not my understanding. My understanding is that the mathematical construct is what is actually happening, and that's that's why it's physics. Right. But uh, well, it's the thing. Like, have you have you seen Feynman diagrams of like particle interactions? Uh, no, I haven't. Anyway, it's it's basically this diagram of of two particles interacting, um, and uh, so like, uh, like they both come come together from the left, and they they come to a, a line in the middle, and that line progresses, and then they split off at the end. Um, mm. And part of the point is to draw like every possible interaction that they could have, and a bunch of those consist of you know the the um, like a virtual photon being emitted uh, from like an electron or something, and then reabsorbed. And the mm. idea isn't that that actually happens it's just kind of a statistical uh element you have to put into the calculations to get the right the mm. right prediction in the end i don't think that holds water i think that when we're talking about physics if you have it as part of the mathematical things that you have to put in every bit of that math represents something that's really happening and even even some of her paths that was that was Feynman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even talking about Feynman about his some of her paths theorem, which is in line with with what you're talking about the the idea that uh, for a particle to move from one point in space time to another, that it travels uh, on every conceivable path to get there simultaneously and that the average of all of those paths is the most direct that that is yes it's a mathematical abstract idea and the concept is that that is actually happening in every single instance which is mind-boggling but that that is the implication that it really is doing that yeah yeah i think i think you have a point there um I win. Yeah, I, I was just I was like skimming the the virtual particle Wikipedia page while you were <laughs> saying that. And yeah, it's like I think it kind of kind of lines up. Um, Free will does you know, exist. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, we we don't really know how much of quantum mechanics is right or how much of any of our our physics accurately you know mm -hmm. describes what's actually there, but. Um, Seems yeah. like a pretty good model, as far as I can tell. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> where were we going with that? The uh, that that implies free will. <laughs> yeah, because um, because you had some 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 gripe about like it that but that isn't actually happening. It's just math. Yeah. Uh, Particles uh, popping into and out of existence. Right, but but are they deciding? Like, it just seems probabilistic, right? Yeah, and 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 
Well, okay, this is this is an interesting point that I thought of after our free will discussion that I wish I'd thought of before. <laughs> um, is that probability is determined in large part by what you do and don't know, right? If you, uh, if there's two outcomes and you have no idea what's going to happen, then for you, it's a 50-50 chance. But what if you go in and learn some details and you find out that, let, let, let's, let's say we're, we're looking at a game of chess and we don't know how the rules work and we have two players and you look at the board halfway through the game and you say I don't know I'm just gonna say 50-50 one way or the other because I don't know as from my perspective the best I can do is a 50% chance on either side then let's say we look into the details we learn how chess works and we look at the board and we say hey actually in this board state it's almost certain it looks like black is gonna win and white has no idea what the fuck they're doing then we can say there's, I don't know, a 99% chance that black is going to win. And see how vastly the predictions vary based solely on what we don't know. Hmm. And so when you look at something externally, there's always some information about that experience that you're lacking. And so your predictive models are going to appear closer to random chance than to intentionality. And for me, the big implication of that is that from an outside perspective, conscious intention looks like randomness. Hmm. Yeah, because you're... The further out in terms of time an event is, the, the more possibilities there are. Yeah, or, right. or yeah, totally. And and even also just saying that when you look at someone's experience that is outside of your own, you don't know all of the things that led up to them making the decision that they they're going to make. And by that fact alone, you may perceive it as being random when in fact there's a perfectly sound reason or, or a, a reason for them to make that decision mm -hmm. and how does that how does that re relate to free will though so we can look at these things happening on whatever scale you want we could put it on the particle level or, or anything and you, you say oh well that's just random chance you think you're making a, a conscious decision but really it's just random chance well i think that's the most arrogant thing to suppose trevor uh, <laughs> uh, i i think that because of what i've just said you cannot know that individual's experience and to say that just because to you it looks random mean doesn't mean that there isn't intention to it and in fact if it looks random that might be even a good indicator that it is intentional yeah, so, so you're talking about random from the perspective of an outside observer, not from the perspective of the person Certainly. taking the action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it... Uh, when, when people talk about free will and randomness, I don't think they're talking about 
how random something appears from an outside perspective. Whoa. They're 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 not they're not Trevor, they're not Trevor, like Trevor, they're Trevor. not talking about about you know some other person looking at the person who's taking the action and and that outside person be like oh that's so random what that person did like no they, they, they totally are they're saying look at you you didn't do that thing on purpose you had no reason for it things just happened and that's the way it is they happened because of things that we don't know about or things outside our control well, it's it's always there's I mean there's usually an obvious reason for the person to do the thing. It's like it's not that they did the action without any reason or any motive or anything like that. It's that uh the circumstances that gave them that reason had uh were already set in place. So so maybe saving the free will discussion for a future episode um we can we can wrap that up and go back to Jordan Peterson. Well, well, you asked me like what other, you know, what holes do I see in his in his claims about hierarchies and and you know women choosing the, the men at the top at the top of the hierarchy and all that stuff. And uh, I mean, so I mean, the problem I see with that is that it only goes like one way between the the genders, and I think you could argue it it goes both ways. Oh yeah. Like I think I mean I think <laughs> I think you know like like we said women are are also competing in their own hierarchies and i think men men do tend to you know want to choose the people from the top of the hierarchies that's definitely true that that is something that happens i i agree it's maybe important or interesting to recognize that there is a difference across genders generally for selectiveness of mates i mean it's kind of a, a trope even that women are much more selective and that men will fuck anything yeah yeah <laughs> i definitely and that, and that you know that contributes to it the fact that it is kind of uh unbalanced mm. but i think i think to yeah to, to say it's ex entirely just women choosing men i think is inaccurate but yeah you're right there there is a uh there is that that dynamic you mentioned in play yeah certainly and and i think it's really interesting to explore the the actual structures that we see in our society in terms of selectiveness and we can also maybe just generalize the concept as humans select their mates intentionally by aiming towards successful members of the community yeah yeah i think that about yeah i think that about does it for everything else i wanted to say on that god is dead <laughs> god is dead and the postmodern neo-marxist killed him <laughs>